And good morning to those of you who are watching online. Thank you for tuning in today to Mount Airy Baptist Church. A few weeks ago, Lisa and I went out for uh, a milkshake. I think it was after church on a Sunday night, uh, if I remember correctly. It's kind of a bad habit we've developed lately. It's like we just got on this kick of, hey, let's go get a milkshake. And so it was after church, you know, kind of winding down. Let's go get a milkshake. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where we went. Uh, but we went to this place, and when we got there, they actually have two lines, and they were so crowded, so busy, that the two drive through lines went around the building. Now, this was not Chick-fil-A, by the way. Just one. I love Chick-fil-A. I don't want to make sure I get that out. This is not Chick-fil-A. So, so we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we got nothing else to do. It's the end of the day. Let's relax. And, and so we got in line at the drive through Now, this is what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. This is not an exaggeration. This is not a preacher's story. This really happened. Okay? We waited in line for at least 30 minutes in the drive-thru. Which is very unusual for me. I, normally I would get out. I, would, I, I will admit to you that I was frustrated. I was one frustrated preacher that Sunday night. But I wanted that milkshake, and I, you know, let's just wait it out because we both really decided we, we wanted this particular milkshake. So when it was finally my turn, uh, we pulled up. I, I remember saying, finally. And, and we pulled up, and a little sign of the speaker and everything, and I turned to the speaker, and I said, I want a chocolate fudge milkshake. That's Lisa's. And then I didn't say that's Lisa to them, but <laughs> I said, I want a chocolate uh, fudge milkshake, and I want a chocolate milkshake with banana and Reese cup. That's mine. Highly recommend it. And so I ordered that, and then the speaker said back to me, I'm sorry, sir, the milkshake machine is broken. <laughs> I was stunned. I will have to admit to you, my blood pressure started to rise. And in that nanosecond, as I sat there looking at that speaker, not sure what I was going to say, but having all kinds of options go through my mind of what I might say. Before I could get the words out, I felt a hand on my arm and I, and I heard a voice say, just say, it's okay, thank you anyway. That was not one of the options I had thought about. But I took a deep breath, I looked at the speaker and I said, that's okay, thank you anyway. To this day, I don't know if that was Lisa or God. I mean, the voice sounded like Lisa, but the, the advice sounded like God, right? We've all had those experiences, I think, where, you know, we had to choose between the right thing or the wrong thing. And sometimes we've had that hand on our arm and that voice in our ear saying, this is what you need to do, and sometimes we do that. But if we're honest, we don't always listen to that voice that tells us what the right thing is. And some of our biggest regrets, if we're honest, are tied to those times when, in a moment, we willingly chose the wrong thing. And sometimes we look back on that time and we will say, you know, for the life of me, I don't know why I chose that. For the life of me, I can't explain why I made the wrong choice. In case you think I'm talking to somebody else today, I just want to be as clear as I can be. I think that this message is a message that everybody needs to hear. And so let me just say it to you this way, just so I can be clear and plain. Either you were a mess, or you are a mess, or you're just one dumb decision away from becoming a mess. 
We're all in that boat. And if you came today feeling like maybe God is mad at you, or even worse, if you came today feeling like maybe God is done with you, I'm so glad you're here today. I really am. There's a passage in the Bible that you probably have heard before. In fact, it might be on a plaque in your home. It's a beautiful, poetic verse. And it's one of those verses that is so beautiful and poetic, I don't know that we often stop to say, what does that mean? But before I tell you that beautiful, poetic verse that probably you're familiar with, I want to talk to you about the verses prior to that verse. I want to kind of give you the backstory to it. So if you take your Bibles, uh, open it up or turn it on and find the book of Lamentations. That's kind of a hard book to find. So if you, if you can find Psalms, go over to the right and you'll go past Isaiah and keep going and, and you'll go past Jeremiah. And Lamentations is squeezed between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I want you to go to Lamentations. One of the fascinating things about Scripture to me is that the heroes of the Bible don't always look like heroes. The heroes of the Bible don't always talk like heroes. They sometimes have their down days, and I'm so glad because sometimes I do too. Maybe you do as well. Often the dark days that we feel are sometimes deepened by the thought that there's really nothing we can do to improve our situation, that our situation is so bad, it is so hopeless, that there's really nothing we can do about our situation. So what do you do when there's nothing left to do? What do you do when life just seems out of control? And even worse, what do you do when God seems distant? If you're like Jeremiah, you lament. Let me show what I'm talking about. I hope you're in Lamentations chapter 3. Let's start at verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Now, first of all, let me call your attention that this is Jeremiah the prophet writing these words, and he's talking bad about God. He's talking about what God is doing to him. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He, God, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he, God, has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Last Sunday, we talked about God as our refuge and God as our rock. Very inspiring kind of scripture we looked at last Sunday. But today, we flip the coin over and we look at the other side of the coin. He was a faithful man of God, a prophet of God, speaking against God. I mean, it doesn't even sound like a man who has a lot of hope or a man who has a lot of answers, much less a man who has a lot of faith in God. In fact, it sounds like a man who is struggling to even believe in God right now. Let me read it to you again. I'm a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. The title of this book is significant. Those words appear in the book called Lamentations. Lament means to, to wail, to cry out loud. It means to feel and express deep sorrow. It means that you're mourning a loss. That's what it means to lament. Jeremiah prophesied for more than 40 years to the nation of Israel. And for 40 years, he was speaking to a people who had abandoned God. He faithfully proclaimed God's word, but the people turned a deaf ear to his message for 40 years. And more importantly, they turned a deaf ear to the God he represented. So in 586 B.C., Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. 
586 B.C., he saw with his own eyes the temple being destroyed, the walls being destroyed, the city being plundered and burned, and he saw God's people literally being carried away in captivity to Babylon. And Jeremiah sat in the ruins and the rubble of that city, and he mourned, and he wept over his city. And he wrote the book of Lamentations. Let me show you, go over back one chapter. Let me give you a kind of a flavor of what he was experiencing. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes fell from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. You see, this book contains the laments of Jeremiah who is sometimes called the weeping prophet. And he's sometimes called the weeping prophet because so much of his preaching was mixed with his tears. That's what he says in this verse. My eyes are filled with tears as I look at the ruin and the rubble of the city. The brokenness of my people. Now you need to understand that the first two laments found in this book, chapters 1 and 2, the first two laments in this book describes the plight of the city and the people who live there. So the first two laments, he is mourning and wailing against what has happened to his city, and he's mourning and wailing about what has happened to the people, the people of God who live in that city. That's the first two laments. But when we come to chapter 3, in chapter 3, Jeremiah describes his own personal pain. In chapter 3, he is lamenting his own personal questions and struggles. In chapter 3, he is talking about the hopelessness that he feels. And these are dark days for the old prophet. He has walked with God and served God for many, many years, and now he is angry at God. I'm sorry, but there's no other way to say that. Now the old prophet who has preached with tears for 40 years is angry at God. He has this disturbing notion that God is the one to blame for all of his troubles. And he writes with great transparency as he is making his case against God. And in essence, we get to look over his shoulder as if he's writing a diary. Let's look carefully at the old prophet, how he describes his hopeless situation, how he describes his doubts about God. And some of it might even sound familiar to you. Verse 4, He, God, has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. In other words, his health was destroyed. As Jeremiah looked at his hands and his arms, he, he, he thought, God, you did this. The message translation says, He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones, and then he broke my bones. And then in verses 5 through 7, he talks about he's an emotional wreck. Verse 5, He, God, has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. He is an emotional wreck. And then in verse 8, he goes on to tell us that when he tries to pray about it, it's absolutely useless. Verse 8, even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Jeremiah said, even in those times when I have gotten the courage to lift my eyes up towards heaven, and I've gotten the courage to pray to God, it's like he slams the door in my face. Verse 9, he has barred my way... With blocks of stone, he has made my paths crooked. Verse 10 and 11, he talks about how he feels abandoned. 
like a bear waiting in lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me. He left me without help. Here's the prophet talking about God. He left me without help. Aren't you glad you came today? Isn't this an encouraging word? Let's look carefully at what else he says here. Because it, it actually gets worse. Verse 12. He drew his bow and he made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. In other words, God's having target practice on me. Verse 14. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. Uh, though he had cr- predicted correctly the fall of Jerusalem, now the people are, that are left there are laughing at him like, what good did it do you? God didn't do anything for you. Verse 15, he's overwhelmed. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. His dream has died. The message translation said, I said to myself, this is it, I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Verse 19 and 20, we see the depth of his depression. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Now, everybody look up here for a moment, please. As strange as it may sound, this cry of despair actually becomes the turning point in Jeremiah's lament. In the dark days of his depression, Jeremiah somehow begins to think about something other than his misery. In the dark days of his depression, Jeremiah begins to think about God's mercy. Look at verse 21. Yet, I call this to mind, and therefore, I have hope. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday nights, we've been talking about how to read your Bible better like a seminary student. And one of the things we talked about last Sunday night was that powerful word, yet. It is a word of contrast. It is a word that signifies what has gone before it is about to change. There's a turning of the page. There's about to be a new story written. The word yet there is an important word because he says, yet in spite of all of this stuff that I've been feeling and all of these things that I've experienced, despite the fact that I'm sitting in the ruins of the city and it is smoldering in front of my very eyes, yet I call this to mind and I have hope. I don't know, what is hope? Ordinarily, we use the word hope to express uncertainty. I hope I make my flight. I hope I pass that test. You're expressing uncertainty rather than certainty. But biblical hope is a confident expectation of something good in the future. If you're taking notes, write that down. Biblical hope is confident expectation of something good in the future. So as Jeremiah is sitting in the ruins of the city of Jerusalem, smoke billowing around him, children running around with no mom or dad anymore, as he sees the chaos of his city, he says, yet there's one thing that I think about, and it gives me hope. You see, when the word hope appears in the Bible, it doesn't mean to cross your fingers. When the word hope appears in the Bible, it means to put your faith and trust in God because you believe there is still something good in the future. Therefore, he says, I have hope. 
And he explains why he has hope. Look what he says, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Now you've got to get the picture of, of where he's at and what he's experienced and what he says about it. Because of the Lord's great love, not just his love, but his great love, we are not consumed. As Jeremiah sat in Jerusalem, a ray of hope began to shine through the smoke of the ruins. As he sat in Jerusalem, there was this one ray of hope. As he looked at the destruction all around him, the one thing he realized is this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In other words, God never stopped loving Israel despite the fact that he had to discipline Israel. The writer refers to God's great love. Jeremiah, as he sat there looking at the remnants of God's discipline, he understands that had God wanted to, he could have utterly wiped out everyone by Babylon. But because of God's great love, we are not consumed. He knew that God could have, if he wanted to, God could have erased the city from the map. But because God's great love, he says, we are not consumed. Jeremiah refers to that great love because it is a love that never stops. It is a love that never gives up. It is a love that never walks away. In fact, if you know biblical history, 70 years later, the people of God came back from Babylon and they rebuilt that city. And they rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt their temple. Because God loves them with a great love that never gives up and never gives out and never walks away. And I want to say to you today that if you feel like there is no hope in your life, there is no hope for your situation, I want you to hear me say this today. There is always hope if you involve God in your situation. God loves you even when you disobey Him. God loves you even when you doubt Him. God loves you even if you disown Him. And God will love you even if you don't love Him. It is His great love that gives us hope. Now, that's just preliminary. We haven't even got to the famous verse yet. Here's the famous verse that may be hanging on a plaque in your wall, on your wall. For His compassions never fail, they are new every morning. It's actually, I don't know if you ever noticed this, it's actually part of two verses. Second half of verse 22 and the first half of verse 23. For His compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Or His mercies never fail, they are new every morning. Based on that verse and the context around that verse, I want to give you two biblical principles today about hope. And here's the first one. Biblical hope focuses on God's faithfulness, not on yours. Jeremiah explains this in verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Get ready. Mark your Bible. He talks about God's great love in verse 23. He talks about God's great faithfulness in verse 24. 20, uh, great love in 22, and great faithfulness in 23. Those are the two things we have to hold on to. God's great love and God's great faithfulness. Biblical hope is never about what is possible with man. It's always based on what is possible with God. If you're living in the dark and discouraging days, then you need to remind yourself every morning of God's great love and God's great faithfulness. 
You see, every Christian should live in the valley between what God has done and what God is going to do. Every Christian should live in the valley between God's great love and God's great faithfulness. Too often we live in the valley between what I've done and what am I going to do now. And that is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for depression. That is a recipe for ruin. What I've done and what am I going to do now. Can I give you a better way to live? You live in the valley between what God has done and what God's going to do. You live in the valley between God's great love and God's great faithfulness. You see, healing begins when you make a choice to place your hope in His love and in His faithfulness. Not in your love and your faithfulness, but in His great love and His great faithfulness. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Wouldn't it be nice to know that joy and peace again? Wouldn't it be nice to experience that again? The God of hope can give you that. You see, biblical hope is focused on God's faithfulness, not yours. Second thing I want you to get is this. Biblical hope focuses on today, not yesterday. We get back to this verse, in the middle of verse 22 and the first part of verse 23. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You have to ask yourself, why is that true? And why even is that verse there, that phrase, they are new every morning? I want you to read this text with me again, and I'm going to take that phrase out and see if it makes sense. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. And then skip down, great is your faithfulness. That makes sense, doesn't it? So why? Why did Jeremiah write these words? For His compassions never fail, they are new every morning. What is it that Jeremiah was trying to get you and I to understand when he says they are new every morning? morning. Why is that so important to you and I that His compassions never fail? They are new every morning. Why? I'll tell you why. Satan wants you to focus on yesterday's failures. God wants you to focus on today's forgiveness. Satan wants you to focus on yesterday's guilt. God wants you to focus on today's grace. His mercies are new every morning. There is never a day that, that God will give up on you. His mercies are new every morning. There is never a day when God will refuse to forgive you. His mercies are new every morning. There is never a day when God will wash His hands of you. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, God meets you with mercy. Every morning, God meets you with mercy. Every day, God is ready to embrace you. You don't need to run from Him. You don't need to avoid Him. Because His mercies are new every morning. And yes, you may have failed Him again, but every morning He is ready to embrace you with His mercy. You see, God is faithful to love you every day because His love is perpetual. And His love never ends. And His love never fades. And His love never gives up on you. And as Jeremiah sat in the ruins of Jerusalem, experiencing the ruin of the city, there was a ray of hope, and it was this. I have this thought, therefore I have hope. His compassion never fails. His mercies are new every morning. I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if maybe he wrote those words during the morning hours. 
I wonder if he was sitting in Jerusalem looking at all that had gone wrong, all that had been destroyed, the smoldering embers around the city. I wonder if perhaps on a morning he was writing those words, his mercies are new every morning. I don't know about you, I love to watch the sun come up. I love to watch the sunrise. Now, I don't love to get up to watch the sunrise. But I love to watch the sunrise. There's something about a sunrise that is almost holy to me. And often when I do watch a sunrise, I quote that verse, His mercies are new every morning. And so can I give you an assignment? I would just encourage you to wake up and smile every day. Just wake up and smile every day. And I'll tell you why. Because today is another day to serve Him. Because His mercies are new every morning. Today is another chance to live for Him. Because His mercies are new every morning. Today is another chance to get it right. Because His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. The old song said it right, didn't it? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. See, in Jesus Christ, we have the fullest expression of God's love. And every sunrise is God's reminder of His great love and His great faithfulness. You may wake up one day hating yourself. You may wake up one day looking back and hating what you have done. But I can promise you on the authority of God's Word, you will never wake up with God hating you. Because His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, He wants to embrace you with His love. Every morning is a reminder of how faithful He is. Hope is not found in how faithful I can be. Hope is found in recognizing how faithful He is. How great His love is. His love is so great that every sunrise is a reminder that He is for you, not against you. Every sunrise is a reminder that you don't have to live in the pain of bad decisions. You don't have to live in the regret of yesterday because His mercies are great and His love is everlasting and His mercy is new every morning. Every morning. God greets you with the sunrise to say, I love you. You may not love what you did. He loves you. And he'll tell you that again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. He wants you to know he will never give up. Let's thank Him for that. Would you join me as we pray?
Every head bowed, every eye closed. I've got a verse I want to give you. If you need to open your eyes to write this verse down, that's certainly fine. But I want this to be a prayer that you incorporate into your morning routine for the next few days. It's in Psalm 143, verse 8. I'm going to read it to you, Psalm 143, verse 8. Maybe this needs to be incorporated into your quiet time tomorrow morning. Here's what it says. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way to go, for to you I lift up my soul. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way to go, for to you I lift up my soul. Some of you, that might be the prayer you need to pray in the morning. For some of you, maybe there's a prayer you need to pray right now. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ Jesus. Believing that Jesus paid it all. That He paid for everything you've ever done. He died on the cross to cleanse you from your sin. But none of that matters until you, by faith, accept it. We're going to sing that song in just a minute, that hymn of invitation. I'm going to be down front to receive you. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, if you'd like today to repent of your sins and follow Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, would you come and let me pray with you? You can trust Christ today as your Savior. Others of you, you're free to come to this altar and pray today. Maybe just to thank God for His mercy and His grace and His faithfulness to you. Or maybe as a Christian, you need to come and offer that prayer of repentance. That prayer of God. Thank you for reminding, reminding me of your faithfulness and your love. Thank you for giving me hope again. Thank you for embracing me with your mercy. You just come and let God restore that joy and that peace as you turn from your life of sin and turn and trust Christ completely. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done at Mount Airy as it is in heaven. And I pray that in Christ's name.